Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. that that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like how about that that's a premium banging olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a biosonic sound experience that that's our legacy you ready to be a part of it unlock the energy of the all-electric zdx type s order now at acura.com This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Most of the times I played craps was actually on the table that I robbed. I don't know, I'm, I guess, an asshole in that manner. Some of that was like altruism, right? Like, I tipped pretty good when I was gambling. And there's a couple of days where I, I won a, a real nice chunk of money, legit, well, whatever legitimately means. It was from ill-gotten gains, but I actually won, I think I won like 40, 45K. And when they're coloring me up, I had them give me one of the new $25,000 chips because they decommissioned the original cranberries. You heard right. The old, original cranberry chips, over $1 million of what Tony stole, were being decommissioned. Let me explain. While Tony spent the holidays blowing through nearly 100 k in chips and partying in his comp suite at the casino he'd just robbed, and LVMPD investigators like Sam Smith diligently gathered more and more evidence proving Anthony Carleo was the biker bandit, The Bellagio Hotel and Casino was making its own moves. On New Year's Eve of 2010, the Bellagio's parent company, MGM Resorts International, announced they were discontinuing the current $25,000 cranberry chips and replacing them with newly designed cranberry chips. According to the press release, all of the old cranberry chips would need to be redeemed by April 22nd of 2011. That meant anyone holding cranberry chips would have just over three months to cash them in until they were ultimately worthless. And that included Tony. A lot of other people from around Vegas, America, and the rest of the world were holding these Bellagio cranberry chips instead of cash. LVMPD Lieutenant Clint Nichols remembers some secondhand stories of people coming back to Vegas before and after the deadline to try to cash in these cranberry chips. It was a big deal. People had cranberry chips in Vegas that they couldn't use. Card players, poker players, you name People that did high roller business at the Bellagio were impacted by this. I had heard that there were some people upset because they had flown back into Vegas, wanted to use their money, and they were inconvenienced by the fact that you can't use those no more. If the Bellagio got some chips from somebody that they didn't think should have them, we were notified. But that was the Bellagio's issue, so I don't even want to comment on that. While no one has gone on the record to admit doing this, for obvious reasons, 
it's likely that Tony's robbery had inadvertently inconvenienced and flushed out various crooks, from tax evaders to money launderers to drug cartel accountants who had backed their dirty money with high-value Bellagio casino chips. As for the biker bandit himself, a ticking clock had now been put on the vast majority of what he had stolen. In just a few months, over a million dollars worth of Tony's chips would be completely worthless. I understood why they were doing what they were doing. They probably did that to reduce their liability and exposure and also to maybe put some pressure on the bad guy, me in this case, to make some mistakes. Truth was, Tony was making plenty of mistakes on his own due to his constant gambling, raging drug addiction, and general bravado without this added pressure. But now that he had burned through much of his nearly $400,000 of lower denomination chips, the illicit cranberry chips had to be converted to cash somehow to keep this gonzo ride going and quickly. So Tony began to put out feelers for anyone who might be interested in buying cranberry chips at a discount, which meant that he was letting numerous strangers in on the massive secret that he was the biker bandit. I should have been more methodical with it. Just do it slowly under the radar. Five, 10K a month, it would have been nothing to cash that in. But no, I took the roads less traveled and went balls to the wall, went all in and, and started acting like a maniac. From Waveland and Pegalo Pictures, this is the High Roller Heist. I'm your host, Chris Sims. Chapter 7. Money isn't everything, but... By mid-January, authorities had the following on Tony Carleo. Multiple people who knew of Tony's plans to rob the Bellagio or Suncoast Casinos or had actually helped him do it, along with some physical evidence to back up those claims. Numerous suspicious activity reports on Tony's gambling habits, showing that he'd had a recent windfall of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Proof that Tony owned and drove a motorcycle, despite it being registered in the state of Colorado. And even someone in Virginia claiming the biker bandit had tried to sell him Bellagio cranberry chips via some poker website. So we had this individual contact us and it came in through Crime Stoppers. And he stated, I have an individual that is trying to sell me cranberries. Tony took a picture of the cranberry and sent it to him. And he says, oh, it looks authentic. And Tony wrote on the bottom, the biker bandit with the cranberry on top. And it was just like, oh, okay. That's where we got our uh, computer forensics involved. So why weren't police kicking in the door to Tony's comp suite at the Bellagio and hauling him in yet? LVMPD Lieutenant Clint Nichols needed to be sure for one obvious reason. When we realized that his dad was an actual sitting judge in Las Vegas, at that point, I got to start letting people know that, hey, we have a judge's kid that potentially could be our primary suspect. And so we walked in with a tightrope. It brought a new sense of awareness that, hey, we're dealing with the judge's kid. We're serving a warrant on the judge's home. There's going to be political implications for him. 
we had to make sure that whatever we were going to tell as our narrative on how this happened needed to be watertight, making sure we did our due diligence and did everything properly. Of course, the bulk of this due diligence fell to Detective Sam Smith, and he knew that if they arrested a judge's son and the case fell apart, his career could be in jeopardy. We didn't want any questions to come up and say, hey, well, did you guys do this? Did you do that? We wanted to, you know, check off all the boxes so that never came back to us. So we were much more thorough. Yet the thorough gathering of evidence takes time. And there was an ongoing concern that Tony could discover authorities were circling him as their prime suspect. And he'd just split town or, for all they knew, pull a gun and really escalate the situation. One of the great resources that we have is we have a surveillance squad and a team, it was called ROPE, Repeat Offender. What they do is is you identify repeat offenders and you follow them until they're gonna do a crime and then you take them down in the process of doing it. Very, very effective. But we use them in this because we were very close to them. We didn't want it to happen again. We are like, we gotta get eyes on this guy. They were all over the place. They were pretending like they were gamblers. They would sit at a table, they would sit at a bar, they would go eat, you know, and they followed them everywhere. And then what they did was they would give me a report. We saw him do this, we saw him do that. So we were able to pretty much establish what his routine was. From what I understand, I don't think that he even knew that he was being followed, but he was. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. That? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. The Rope Squad. This team of undercover agents disguised as barflies and dumb tourists and degenerate slots players was now tuned to the Tony Carleo Show 24-7. This scintillating programming featured the titular character confidently strutting the casino floor in his Bellagio-embroidered tracksuit, regularly going to the bathroom to do bumps of oxy, carousing with various women, and constantly gambling. Yet, they would also bear witness to an incident that speaks to those who know Tony best and know that the devil and the angel reside a mere shoulder's length apart. I'm playing poker in the dealers. As they change tables, they bring their tip box with them. For those that don't frequent casinos, most car dealers regularly accept tips in the form of casino chips while they work. 
For obvious reasons, the dealer tip box is sacred to everyone at a casino poker table. Well, this dude, I'm playing cards, and this dude like comes through and like takes a bunch of these. I'm like, fuck this dude, you don't steal from the dealers. You gotta have some sort of line. Don't, don't, why would you steal from these dudes that are working for their money, you know what I mean? And this dude ran into the bathroom. I went into the bathroom after him uh, and, and made sure he stayed in there and I went and flagged down security. I ended up in the hotel security, basically fucking telling on this piece of shit, filling out reports, getting the fucking head security dude's card. Let's pause for a moment to recap the scene that has just unfolded. Anthony Carleo, the guy who recently robbed the Bellagio of 1.5 million in chips at gunpoint, was now standing face-to-face reporting on someone else who was stealing chips to Ray Brown, the VP of hotel security, who also had to bite his tongue and do everything in his power not to tackle Tony in order to protect the active police investigation. Oh, to be a fly on that wall. It was just like a really twilight zone moment. Like, I don't even know why I put myself in that spot, but it felt like the right thing to do because this dude's trying to steal from these poker dealers. That just didn't sit well with me. Don't fucking steal from these guys, dude. You know what I mean? Like, the nerve. Despite the mountain of evidence that lead detective Sam Smith and the LVMPD already had that pointed to Tony Carleo as the biker bandit, they still needed something that proved beyond a reasonable doubt that it was him. The way they saw it, the citizen source and accomplice statements could be dismantled on the witness stand by a good defense attorney, leaving real doubt in a jury's mind. The financial workup around Tony's sudden six-figure gambling habit was certainly suspicious, but didn't prove he got the money by robbing the Bellagio's craps table at gunpoint. And while the biker bandit was going on poker forums and trying to sell discounted chips with clever notes, it didn't prove Tony was user Ocean Spray 25. What authorities really needed was some sort of smoking gun, something that proved Tony had the stolen chips in his possession. And that meant something would need to be orchestrated, better known as a sting operation, between members of the undercover rope squad and the many confidential informants who worked with the LVMPD across Las Vegas. When you have uh, a citizen source, that's someone who's coming to you with information, but they're not specifically signed up as a confidential informant. Confidential informant is someone who's signed up. They may or may not be able to get proceeds or money, and their identity is kept secret. Lieutenant Clint Nichols and his division had already tapped into the wide network of CIs around the city since the beginning of the investigation. There is really no profile for them. I can tell you when I worked on the strip, cocktail waitresses and valet guys were my best source of information. They're at the doors watching everybody and anybody. Some people like the pit bosses. Some people, if you're working in narcotics, your best source of information is probably a a user or a competing dealer. So there is no profile. It depends on the type of information that you're looking for as to who you're going to seek out that would be in the best position to have that information. It's sort of that underbelly of Vegas, the folks that are on the strip 24-7 that have their posts on everything that's going on in and around Vegas. They know who to go to get what, how to get it, and what it's going to cost you. 
And so there's a, a saying in Vegas that you can get just about anything you want in Vegas if you know somebody. And yeah, those are the folks that you don't see coming in from the airport and getting in your rental car and going to Vegas. Uh, it's usually the person sitting at the bar at two, three o'clock in the morning or walking down the street at, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning. They are usually your best sources of information. And cultivating that from a law enforcement standpoint is pretty critical. As the name suggests, confidential informants must remain confidential for a couple of reasons. To protect themselves from retribution from the criminals they are reporting on, and also to remain an ongoing important source of information to investigators. In other words, if you're a CI, you have to be careful with who you trust. And if you're an investigator, you have to cultivate a relationship with your CIs so they trust you and collaborate effectively. For Detective Sam Smith, it was all about finding the right investigator on the force who had the connections to the right CIs. We were discussing it. We had different CIs and different people saying, I could do it, I can get this, I can get that. And uh, we were in a meeting and it was just the rope team. And out of nowhere, a real gravelly voice goes, I'll do it, I'll buy it from them. They were like, who the hell said that? It was Mike Gennaro, one of the rougher-looking members of the Rope Squad, a guy known around Las Vegas Metro as being something of an enigma, and also one of their most effective undercover officers. He was on a couple years before I was, and we got to know each other through this case, and we kind of came from the same area. He was from New York, and I'm from New Jersey, and we just kind of hit it off a little bit, and he just had such a colorful career. And when he got this opportunity, he jumped on it because he was extremely good at it. He's kind of got a little bit of a rough exterior. You know, he's got the stern look, and he had the coiffed hair back at that time. But you, you just get to talk to him. It's like, wow, man, this guy, this guy really cares, and this guy is really good at what he does. With some of the CIs... They have very close connections to uh, Mike Gennaro. So I kind of distanced myself a little bit from that and kind of let Mike, Mike do that part of it. Um, a couple of reasons. I didn't want to find out who it was and then later on I get put on the stand and I have to reveal something or I have to say something that, that I wasn't comfortable with. So Mike kind of went with that. But it, it seemed like confidential informants were... Uh, coming out of the woodwork. And as it so happened, one of these confidential informants who was close to Mike Gennaro had been approached by a guy named Tony who was putting out feelers on how he could move some of those Bellagio cranberry chips. Mike had come to robbery after working years in undercover. And so, quite frankly, he had the most experience doing undercover work. He knew the guy that was being asked to swap the chips out. So, the plan was to have one of our undercovers hang out with the guy that had been approached. It was a no-brainer for us. And plus, Mike still looked pretty seedy and it was a perfect. You put him in some jeans and a t-shirt and you send that guy just about anywhere. While a general plan for the sting had been put in place by LVMPD's robbery division, the rope squad's Mike Gennaro and his recruits would be the only ones privy to all the details. 
So I'm playing in the, I think it was the Deep Stack tournament. It was at the Venetian. It was like a $1,500 buy-in, two grand, whatever it was. And I'm doing okay, close to bubbling. You know, it's where they cut off and, you know, people after that bubble uh, make money or in the money, as they say. And I don't know, man, it was like the stars aligned. This fucking random ass dude was on my table. His name is Sam. A confidential informant of Mike Gennaro's, a man who introduced himself as a doctor named Sam, struck up a conversation with Tony while playing at the same table. I don't think he was random. He comes at me. I have another friend named Sam who I haven't seen in a very long time. I was all like fucked up in the head. So when this dude started coming at me, he said his name is Sam. I like convinced myself that I know this guy. At a time when Tony should have had his guard up, his need to move those cranberries left him open to listening to a stranger with a compelling and convenient story. I should have just like ran to Pittsburgh. This guy basically somehow, some way, alluded to the fact that he had heard that I might be able to get some of these uh, stolen chips, right? It must have been just like desperation. I wanted to believe it and all this, that, and the other. But in hindsight, like the logical side of my brain should have been like, bro, just like bounce. Like that's too much heat something doesn't feel right, trust your gut type shit, but I didn't. So, you know, same thing. I played uh, middle, middle, middle man, or, you know, my buddy knows a guy type shit. Yeah, I might be able to do that, blah, blah, blah. This guy came at me and said he knows some dude from New York and uh, he might be interested in getting some of these chips, blah, 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 blah. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it ultimately came down to he knows this dude, Dominic, that can cash these things and you might want to get a couple of them and I opened the door and um, even entertained it instead of just telling the guy to fuck off, I don't know what you're talking about, which is what I should have said. Whatever he said wasn't bad enough to like red flag everything. I was uh, wanting probably all this stuff to be legit and saw maybe a slight glimmer of hope that I could dump some of these chips and put together 50, 100 grand and like right off to the sunset. The confidential informant had done his job and convinced Tony to meet with his friend Dominic, a part to be played by Mike Gennaro himself. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Just a few evenings after being approached by a doctor named Sam at a poker tournament about buying cranberry chips, 
Tony found himself meeting with Dr. Sam and his New York gangster buddy, Dominic. Very much an only in Vegas situation. So this dude comes in like way too hot and heavy, bro. And I should have like fucking got on a plane and bounced to Belize or something. You know what I mean? Like this dude's coming at me. Like we sit at a little table at the Venetian, like on the little, on the floor. And he uh, instantly like wants to buy one from him. Like, whoa, bro. Like, first of all, I don't even fucking know you. I like, and my gut was kicking off. I asked to see his ID. He wouldn't show me his ID. I didn't get a great feeling about it. But again, I wanted it to be true because I needed to sell some of these fucking things. So I didn't listen to my gut. And I, I straight up told him, I'm like, look, I don't know you. Um, I'm definitely not the guy that did this. I have access to somebody that knows the guy type thing. And I might be able to get, you know, three or four or five of these things. If they, were, if, if they could, would you buy them? And of course, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of talked price. He's like, well, you know, about 10K a piece. So I said, all right, let's start with one. I want to make sure you can cash this. I don't want you to have to buy these things, but I'm not doing it now. Like, let's get to know each other a little better. We bet some sports bets, you know what I mean? And uh, shot some dice and uh, we we're supposed to go to a strip club one night. And then there's this other asshole, this, this doctor guy, right? So he comes at me from the Oxycontin angle. And again, I don't know, like, how the fuck would this guy even know any of that shit, right? So he's coming at me from this, like, this vulnerability that I have. Like, right, like I need pills. Uh, it's a good thing, blah, blah, blah. He's a doctor. You can get him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just starting to start breaking down the pill thing. I'm, like, telling him, hey, man, this would be good, uh, good financially for you and for me. You know what I mean? Like, give me these scripts. I'll give you the split it with you, whatever the case is. So we end up going to dinner. Uh, one night, and, uh, the next day, we went down to the, uh, the steakhouse at the at the Bellagio. It's phenomenal. He paid for the meal, of course. And I never wanted to do a hand-to-hand transaction, right? I always wanted, uh, like this doctor dude was at dinner, I wanted like him to be the guy that hands in the chip. Ultimately, the guy, Dominic, hands me like a wine menu. He's like, oh, that, there's some good, that's a good year selection in there, like something cheesy. And I opened it up and like... 20K fall out. So the 20K falls in my lap and I play it off smooth. Like I don't move. I just see it sitting there. So I end up sliding um, this doctor dude, um, like one or two chips, whatever the money was there for. And um, he slid him over to the guy. That was it. We had to ate the rest of dinner. He said, you know, let me see if I can cash these. I'll get back to you, blah, blah, blah. Everything's fine. I got 20K in my pocket. Uh, he got two chips, and according to him, he was able to cash them, so now he wants some more. What Mike did was he had someone introduce him to, to Tony, and Mike played the part of a gangster from New York. And uh, he spoke to him, and, and you know, I'm real interested in, in, in buying these chips from you. Uh, and then he started baiting them with, you know, I think we could get a crew together and we could do this to other casinos. And and uh, Tony didn't realize he's talking to an undercover police officer. So they develop a relationship and um, Mike decides to buy some chips. Well, Mike did such a good job. Tony believed him so much that Mike actually got a bargain on the chips and we got the front money from Ray Brown, the vice president of security there. So Mike would go out to dinner with Tony 
but they would eat at like the, the high-end restaurants at the Bellagio. And Ray tells the story. It would be about, you know, two in the morning and I'd get a phone call and all I'd hear is, hey, hey, Ray. Yeah, we need, we need, we need some, uh, we need a comp for the restaurant. And it was Mike. <laughs> so uh, it went all the way. And then Mike bought, I want to say initially five or six chips. And then Mike says, hey, you know what? I want to buy the rest of them. And then that's where things got real interesting. So the game plan was he was going to let me know if he could cash it in. And if he could, he wanted a couple more. I'm like, hey, man, I could probably get like two or three more of these. I'm not going to be like, hey, man, I have 90 of these. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a good look. But I'm um, like, hey, I might be able to get two or three more. How many would you want? Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, he, he jerked me off for a while. We were supposed to go to a strip club, fucking play, you know, watch some sports bets. He's texting me all the while, talking about real estate and all this other shit. And I bit, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have any friends, so it was cool to have somebody that, you know, uh, hang out with, whatever. And, uh, but I still wasn't all in on this guy. Like, I still had something not right sitting in my gut, you know what I mean? To the point where um, Layla, she kind of knew, she knew I didn't feel good about something. I actually gave her, like, um, 10 grand. Like, if I got arrested, that was going to be enough for my bail. What did I know? But I even told her, like, I have a bad feeling about this. Here's this money. If something happens, like, just hang on to it. Come get me, keep it, whatever. So my gut wasn't all the way in on this, dude. But you're not really thinking clearly, and you got dollar signs in your eyes. Uh, just a, a perfect shitstorm of events that, that, that uh, opened the door for all this stuff to, to creep in. For Tony, there was hope. This would all work out in his favor. Yes, hope's a good word. Hopium. Yeah, I was high on that hopium shit. High on hopium, with dollar signs in his eyes, Tony was ready to sell more chips. But he wanted to maintain his middleman identity and some physical distance. So then I got even craftier, right? I tried to, again, remove myself from the situation and not be the dude that, like, hands this dude a chip in case something goes down, right? Like, I don't want to do a hand-in-hand. I could have some plausible deniability or reasonable doubt if it ever got to a jury trial, whatever the case may be. So this other dude, this homie that worked at uh, one of the clubs, I don't know if he like knew what, what happened, but he knew I had these things that I had to sell. He was going to help me like go drop some stuff off at a bathroom at Caesars. He was supposed to put them behind a toilet. Uh, and I was going to tell this dude where to go pick them up at. And that way there's a lot of variables there that, that, that a jury could overlook if they needed to. So that was my, the big picture thought process. That turned into a clusterfuck. So I have homie go put these things behind a toilet. The fucking janitor finds him. Like the dude cleaning the shitters, right? And I just fucking turned into a debacle, dude. So like, I'm telling this dude, did you get them? He's telling me, no, they're not there. I'm like, did you leave the fucking chips there? He's like, yeah, I swear to God. I'm like, well, one of you motherfuckers are lying. I start getting like paranoid and tripping. I'm like, oh, these dudes are going to think I'm fucking them or they're trying to fuck me. It was, I was just very stressful because I thought it was a legitimate thing at that point. I'm like, oh, these motherfuckers are trying to fuck me, dude. They, they got the chip, said they didn't get the chip. You know what I mean? But it turns out like it was an honest thing. Like the bathroom porter or attendant like found these fucking chips. 
The detectives would not suffer another debacle like this one. They needed a better plan to finally take Tony down. It did not look organized at all. And so at that point, I remember me and the sergeants working through Mike uh, to figure out where the best place to do this was. At this point, the guy was being suspected of a violent crime with a firearm. And so we tried to come up with the best plan we could to sort of get him in an isolated area where if he was going to do something disastrous like that, we'd be able to contain it pretty quickly. I had to brief everyone on it. And it was it was a big operation. I mean, we had people from the FBI were there, people from other robbery squads were there. We had, we had all hands on deck from robbery. We had the rope there. It was something we had discussed and rehearsed and talked about quite a few times. We had gotten approval from our chain to go ahead and do it. And at that point, we knew we had pretty good charges and we would charge him with the robbery if he had shown up with the chips. I meet him in the uh, bathroom and we like meet right in the threshold there and give him the bag. I'll never fucking forget. It was just like, you know, in movies when like time slows down. Everything just, everything just comes to a stop. That's next time on The High Roller Heist. This episode of The High Roller Heist was created and produced by Eli Chorus and Joshua Schaefer of Pegalo Pictures and executive produced by Jason Hoke of Waveland. Written by me, Chris Sims, and Eli Chorus. Edited by Joshua Schaefer. Hosted and co-produced by me, Chris Sims. Co-produced with interviews recorded by Nicholas Sinakis. Theme music and score by Joshua Cleave. Episode assembly by Christy Williams Schaefer. And with sound design and sound mixing by Craig Plackey. Recorded at Side 3 Studios in Denver, Colorado. With engineering by Lucian Nichola. Production legal by Sean Fawcett at Raymond Legal and Sarah Burns of Davis Wright Tremaine. A special thanks to the Denver Chop House and Brewery. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. That? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.